Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Well, hey, everyone. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at the Valley Church. It's good to see you. I shared a little bit before, but if you're just joining now, it's great to have you with us. Uh, Today is the second week of our series entitled Pivot. If you missed it last week, go check it out on demand. Uh, Pastor Cindy Porter did an incredible job laying the foundation for this series as we look at what's it mean to pivot in the year 2020 for us individually. And even today, we're going to look at, as a church, some of the pivots that we've made and will be making. Well, I believe that God wants to speak to us. Actually, I believe that every day he's speaking to us in some way. Uh, Do you agree with that as you're watching? You can uh, maybe give a thumbs up emoji or a wave. Our hosts would love to to hear from you, get some interaction on that, and I'll be interacting with you throughout the sermon today. But I just truly believe that. He wants to show us something new. He wants to speak something new to us. He's trying to get our attention. And even most important, he's then wanting to put a purpose into our lives. He's wanting us to discover our identity in Christ. Do you know your identity in Christ? Maybe that's a thumbs up emoji. He's wanting us to discover meaning. He's wanting to discover, the, get direction in our life and figure out what, is, what are we to do with this one life that we have? However many years we get on this earth, what is it that we are supposed to do with this one life? And I truly believe the day that God has a message for you and a message for me to give some greater clarity to what pivots you and I may need to make in our lives to experience the fullness of that purpose and that fullness of direction. Well, this series, as I said, goes back to the book of Acts. And so if you're looking for a book of the Bible to read, I encourage you to read the book of Acts. Uh, Maybe you could even comment as you're watching on if you're reading the book of Acts or maybe another book that you're reading. But it just really fits to do that. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 8 today. And actually, we're going to dive right in there. You'll see the verses come up as I'm reading it. I'm going to read the verse and explain a little bit what's going on here. It says in verse 1 of chapter 8, And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Now, whose death was this? It was Stephen's, we see in the earlier verses. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the the apostles or disciples were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But but Saul, who we know later as Paul, the apostle Paul, began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word everywhere they went. This would not be a good day for the church. This would be one of those days that was like thumbs down for the church. Everything that they had thought was going to happen. I mean, it wasn't too long ago that Jesus ascended into heaven, that Peter preached the first sermon, you know, at Pentecost, and 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus, and all these things. And I know that they would have had in their mind just like we do, that, man, they're just going to keep trajectory going up to the right, up to the right, right? I mean, how many of you have had that times in your life where, man, things are just clicking, things are going so well, and then out of nowhere, something crazy happens? Well, if you've lived like I have the last eight months, I think we can resonate with that, right? It seems like you go one bit and then boom, you get stopped and you got to pivot or you just stay put because you don't know how to pivot. I kind of think, as Cindy talked about last week, a basketball player, that metaphor of keeping one foot pivoted, okay? 
But I think in the case of this with the early church, you know, you pivot as a basketball player to make a pass or to get in a better position to do something or maybe even the shot fake and then get the shot going. But think about doing a perpetual pivot where you just keep going in a circle. I think of a basketball player like foul line extended, just going in a circle, constantly pivoting, but going nowhere. That's where they had a feel during this time. It actually reminded me of... Uh, the show Friends, if you've ever seen the TV show Friends, maybe you can give a thumb up if you've seen that. You know, there's an episode, and we won't show it, I'll just kind of share it, but there's an episode where Ross is trying to get a sofa up the stairs. And we've all, how many of you, show of hands, uh, have tried to get a sofa up the stairs, especially when you get to that little landing spot where you've got to make that 90-degree turn. Well, in that episode, and you can go check it out for yourself on YouTube, he enlists the help of a couple friends to do that. And as they get to the middle section, he starts yelling, pivot, pivot, pivot. Some of you are remembering and laughing, and probably as you recall this scene. And he just keeps yelling, pivot, pivot, pivot. And of course, there's nowhere to go. <laughs> There's nowhere for that couch to go. They actually slide back down. Chandler gets pinned against the wall, and that's kind of about where it ended up. Actually, it really ends up uh, somehow he sawed it in half and tries to get a discount back at the store. I feel like I've maybe done that myself. Like, I think it came this way, right? But that had to be what they felt like right here, right? Persecution, no more forward movement. Stephen stoned to death, an innocent man. And then Saul was going on a rampage, and this guy was a zealot, the Bible tells us. I mean, he was incredibly good at persecuting Christians and getting them stopped in their tracks to keep them from going on. But notice it says in verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word of God. So I want to then fast forward to later in Acts chapter 11. You'll see it up on the screen, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution, what persecution? The one we just talked about, in connection with Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now here's what this is showing us. The early church had to make a pivot. Well, they didn't have to. They chose to. When this happened to Stephen, they could have packed it in. They could have, when they were scattered, been like so fearful. They could have hunkered down, kind of just gathered in holy huddles and kept praying. But no, it says they kept preaching the gospel. They did not let this persecution stop them from pivoting. And as a result of their pivot, get this, it tells you different places like Phoenicia. Now, you probably never heard of those places. I actually looked up and what cities are they in now? What countries are these cities in now? Phoenicia, it means it spread into Lebanon and Syria, Cyprus, Antioch, that's modern day Turkey, and then Cyrene is modern day Libya. Notice this, out of that little area that they were before in Jerusalem, modern day Israel, because of their ability to pivot, and get this, this is going to be a recurring theme today, they pivoted through the pain because of a greater purpose. They pivoted through the pain because of a greater purpose. The gospel was spread to other countries that now the gospel's there, and that started way back here. And then not only that, but it went beyond just the Jewish people. It tells that the Gentiles or the Greeks, which would have been Gentiles, now started to get to hear the message. So hold that thought in mind. Recently, I was reading uh, the last book of the Bible, the book of, of Revelation. 
uh, in chapters 2 and 3, and if you're not familiar with the book of Revelation, the apostle um, John gets this vision. On the, he's he's um, exiled to the island of Patmos, and he gets this vision from Jesus Christ himself. And he's told to write down this vision. He's told to, that there's seven churches in Asia, and he's to write this to those seven churches in these letters. And so I'm going to read just a little bit from Revelation chapter Chapter 2, you won't see it on the screen, but Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, it's, it's a short little read, so hang with me. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Again, this represents those seven churches I was talking about. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and found them to be false. You have persevered and endured hardship for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lamp stand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, this is good news, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. Essentially, each of these letters has, um, the seven letters has, has a sequence to them. They each start with an introduction and then an affirmation of what they're doing right and then a challenge or a correction for what they're doing wrong and not doing so well. And six of the seven letters have that same exact theme. And so today I want to do this for the Valley Church, the Valley Church Online. We want to talk to what would a letter from Jesus look like today? In other words, the first thing is what would he commend us for? Well, if you're new with us, uh, first of all, thanks for joining. And you could even comment in. Actually, I'd encourage you right now, your host will ask this question. What do you think that Jesus would commend the Valley Church for? What do you think he would say, hey, great job, keep doing that? And you can comment those in. I'm going to list a couple as you're commenting. You'll probably have ones that I'm not even saying. I put down that the priority that we have for children and teens. One third of our church is 18 years of age or younger. He would commend us for the monthly all-church uh, initiatives we do to make a dent and difference in the community. Actually, someone just shared with me last week, months in, in October was about our community food truck and that they, were, they met an elderly family out there this past week who was, uh, had a um, grocery bag that they were putting cans in saying that she's feeding her three grandchildren because her, her daughter's out of work and taking care of an elderly neighbor who can't get out right now and was just overtaken by the love of the church to meet these most basic needs. So I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. I think Jesus would commend us for that. What else would he commend us for? The tens of thousands, the tens of thousands of dollars that we give to missions locally, regionally, and overseas. A willingness to change and take risks. That's one of our values, actually, as a church, is missional risk takers. I believe he would commend us. So many of you giving sacrificially to all in that allowed us within a, less than two years to move from a portable space into a permanent space that we were able to renovate in a movie theater. Actually, where I am right now that you're seeing me online. He would commend us for inviting others and reaching out and, and looking at our neighbors and our family and coworkers who don't know Jesus and investing and inviting them. Taking spiritual growth seriously. And that we would be serious about building relationships with people and people online, you, 
We want to build a relationship, and we want to see you discipled. In other words, we want to see you become more Christ-like in your, in your life, that every area of your life is surrendered over to Christ. And we have groups, online groups. If you are interested, by the way, right now, and joining an online group, would you let one of our hosts know that, hey, just this would be a step of faith. I, I don't even have this in my notes. I just felt prompted that take a step of faith right now to say, you know what, I think I want to do a group. Just put life group in there or say, hey, uh, Lindsay, Pastor Lindsay or Chrissy, whoever's hosting right now, hey, I'm interested in a group. We will get you in a group this week. I guarantee it. But then the second thing is, what would Jesus challenge us with? What would he say, you know, and there's a lot of different things that came to my mind. We're not perfect, like any, any place. But he really directed me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And I'm going to read that for you in just a moment. But uh, verses 33 to 38. And I think actually this is what Christ is saying to us individually and the pivot that we need to make, the pivot in the midst of pain. Some of us are in more pain than others, but to then discover the purpose that he has for us. And so we're going to start out talking about Jesus' ministry. You're going to see this. It's Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, and you'll see that on the screen as I uh, find it here in my note or in my Bible. Okay, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, he says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. What did Jesus do? He preached, he taught, and he healed. You ever notice that's like Jesus' theme of his ministry. He preached, he taught teaching, and then healing that he did. Now, notice the thing is that now that doesn't just happen through him. He wants to do it because of the Holy Spirit living within us. He then now has empowered us as Jesus' followers to do the same things. Actually, there's another passage of Scripture that says that we're to do the same things he did, and we can do even greater through the Holy Spirit's power working in and through us. And so why does he do these things? Why does he teach? Why does he preach? Why does he heal? And then why does he say, I want you to do these too? I'm giving you the Holy Spirit so you can actually pull them off. Well, the answer comes really quick. It's in verse 36. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Notice this, and you'll see it on your screens. He saw. Those two words sum up Jesus so much. What did that, what's that tell us about Jesus? Jesus sees people. He sees people. Who are the people that I saw? Well, I made a note of a few in the Bible. A curious IRS agent in a sycamore tree who was seeking answers. Jesus saw a widow that no one else had ever noticed who gave the last little bit of money that she had to God. He sees the unimportant children that other people said, get them away, scatter them. And Jesus said, no, I want you to bring them to me and I'm going to bless them. He saw the blind beggar on the road that everyone else ignored. And he stopped to that with that guy. He talked with that guy and he gave him some fresh eyes to see again. He saw the woman who was ill, who was an outcast from society, who had spent every bit of her savings trying to get a cure for this disease that made her untouchable. Maybe no one had even held her hand, no one had even hugged her for potentially 12 years. And when she touched him, power flew out of, flew out of him into her and brought instant healing. He saw the fear on his friend's faces when the storm took over the boat and he calmed it just with a, with a brief word. 
So how does Jesus see people? That's the question. How does he see, if we're going to make these pivots, if we're going to pivot out of pain to find purpose, if we're going to be like the disciples when that persecution happened and everything seemed to be crumbling in and did it not? Did it not seem like their world is crumbling in if you put yourself into their shoes at that time? So how do we then see people? Well, how does Jesus see people? He sees people who are hurting. He sees people who are in pain. And he sees people who are vulnerable. And he sees people who are spiritually blind. See, when Jesus looks at us, he doesn't look at you. He doesn't look at me and say, man, what a bunch of dirty, rotten, no good people. <laughs> that's not how. Now, maybe you think that's how he sees you. He just thinks I'm a no good, rotten sinner. And maybe if that's you, if you're courageous enough while you're watching, you can do a wave and say, you know, it's pretty much anonymous, I think, when you do the wave. That's me. I think Jesus sees me as that. If Jesus, if you're right, Mark, that he knows my past, he even knows the things I've done today or yesterday, then he is so disappointed in me. He is so frustrated with me. He was so upset and angry with me. And I want you to hear this today. Come in and listen close on this one. That is not how he sees you. How do I know that? How can I be so confident to tell you that? Because I just read the Bible. It says, when he saw the crowds, notice this, the crowds were not the ones following him in the sense of his disciples. They were there for all kinds of different reasons. Some would just want to be part of this guy who was incredibly famous, frankly, because of all the healings he was doing. Some maybe did need help, but were scared to get close. But when he saw them, he what? He had compassion on them. And I'll get to that in just a second. See, when Jesus looks at people, He's crazy about them. When he looks at you, when he looks at me, he looks at us as people that he is incredibly crazy about. And maybe you need to throw a heart emoji out right now as you're watching that to know that it finally sank in that Jesus is absolutely 100% crazy about you. If you're watching today and you're hurting like so many are, if you're confused like so many of you are, I want you to know this, Jesus sees you. He sees you, and it's not going unnoticed what's going on in your life. Some humor, two Texans and one Ohioan go to Mexico one night. They get drunk, and they wake up in jail early the next morning, only to find out they've been, um, they're going to be executed. They're on death row. They can't remember what in the world they did the night before. It must have been pretty bad or something. So they strap the first gentleman into the electric chair, and they ask him if he has any last words. He says, well, I'm from, these are the two Texans. He goes, the first one says, I'm from the Baylor School of Divinity, and I believe in the power of God Almighty to intervene on behalf of the innocent. So they throw the switch, and nothing happens. So they figure God must not want this guy to die, so they let him go. The second one's strapped in. They say, he says, well, I'm from the University of Texas Law School, and I believe in the power of justice to intervene on the part of the innocent. They throw the switch again. Nothing happens. Well, they figure the law must be on this guy's side, so they let him go too. The last one's strapped in, and he says, well, I'm an electrical engineering student at Ohio State University, and I will tell you right now, you ain't going to electrocute nobody if you don't connect those two wires. <laughs> that's for my Ohio State fans. I'm a Penn State person. This is the only thing I have to get you because you beat us in football all the time. But here's what, this, what I'm getting at. 
The toughest connection in the world, the toughest connection in the world is what we see with our eyes and then feel in our hearts. Just like he pointed out that those two wires needed connected for the chair to work, those two things have to be connected. What we see in this world with our eyes, does it make it the 12 inches from our head to our heart? Does it make it into our heart? Does it change us? Because notice what happens. It says this, when he saw the crowds, because he saw them, right? He sees you where you are, the hurts, the hang-ups, the failures, the frustrations, and the good stuff. He had compassion. If it just said he saw them, well, then what makes Jesus so special? What makes him so in love with humanity? It's the next part. He had compassion. The word compassion is Latin. It means to suffer together. It's actually the word in its original is, is splachna, okay? It's like you're hacking something out. Please don't do that, okay? That's gross. But it, it literally means it's something deep down within you. In other words, the word compassion meant it stirred something deep within his soul. It wrecked him. It, it, it twisted him to the point where he didn't feel the same that he felt before seeing it. Why is that? Well, because Jesus looks at humanity, and when he sees brokenness in humanity, he wants to see it fixed. You ever think about that? Jesus wants to bring healing. What did he do? He preached, he taught, and he healed. See, when you and I start seeing people like Jesus sees them, we will be stirred to have to do something about it. It won't be okay for us just to say, well, someone else will handle that. Oh, someone else will do that. See, that's what happened in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 8. When Paul was on the rampage to eliminate these Jesus followers to the point of stoning Stephen, an incredibly righteous person, the disciples had a choice to make. In the midst of their pain, would they wallow in it? Would they continue just to pivot, foul line extended? Or would they do something and make a pivot to find a greater purpose? Well, it tells us immediately that they were compelled to share the gospel. They were compelled to preach, teach, and heal. Fast forward to verse, or chapter 11 that I read earlier from Acts. What was the result of that? The gospel spread was enormous. They saw and they acted. They saw and they acted. What wrecks Jesus today? People who are weary, people, confused people, aimless people, hurting people, sick people, helpless people, people without purpose or direction. The AIDS epidemic wrecks him. Sex trafficking. One-fourth or more of the world's, actually one-third of the earth's population in extreme poverty. That wrecks Jesus. When you see different organizations like Compassion International and World Vision, those are ministries started because someone else's heart was wrecked. They saw with the eyes of Jesus Christ and they just said, we're going to pivot from whatever we're doing in life right now to make a difference. How many of you today are ready to make that pivot? What do you see? And you can comment right now. What wrecks your heart? What do you see in your portion of the world that creates a twisting in your stomach, that splachna, that compassion starts to reign over? Roughly where I'm 
where, I'm, where you're watching me right now in Troy, Ohio, there's roughly 80,000 people within a 25-minute drive of us who don't know Jesus. If you just look at basic statistics of how many people don't attend church and then assume, which is probably a decent assumption that they're, they don't have a walk with Christ, 80,000 people. How many people around where you live? Some of you are watching in huge metropolitan areas. What is God calling you to do? These are lost people. And Jesus, we see actually parables Jesus taught about lost things, lost, lost coin, lost person, okay, lost son. Jesus is all about seeing and seeking and finding the lost. And then in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, it says this, when the city came into view, that'd be Jerusalem, Jesus wept over it. Jesus wept over it. So what does a pivot look like? for the Valley Church? Well, part of it is what you're doing right now. When, when COVID struck back in March, we said we must pivot. Not only are our people gonna be online for a period of time, none of us knew how long that was gonna be, longer than we thought, all of us probably thought. But one of the things early on that God showed me was something I read that said, every person we wanna reach in this world is online. Whether you're watching us right now, whether you're listening to the podcast, we have people in other countries listen to the podcast, and it just proves the point. Every person we want to reach is online. So we made a huge pivot. We brought Pastor Lindsay on that you've seen and you're interacting with today as our, camp, or as our online pastor. Why? Because we needed someone to see through a pastoral lens about reaching lost people, about reaching people who were hurting. And so we've started so many groups online. That's a pivot we've made. We're, we've upped our ante on staffing for online and for digital stuff. And we want to continue to make this. So I'm going to issue a challenge to you right now as you're watching. One of the next things that we feel needs to happen online is that people start hosting Facebook watch parties. Now you might be watching on YouTube. You probably have a Facebook account too, so you're not off the hook. Would you commit to hosting a watch party. Our online hosts will explain how to do it. They'll get your email or phone number. You guys can chat and have conversations offline beyond this sermon. But would you consider hosting a watch party? It's so simple. I'm not even super tech savvy and I figured out how to do it and did it many weeks. And invite people in your circle, whether you're watching us in Michigan, whether you're watching us in Tennessee, whether you're watching us in, in Europe right now, would you consider hosting a watch party? Let the host know. This, we feel, is the next pivot that has to happen to see more people get connected in community. And then, frankly, I'll be honest, I think there's potential to start new locations of the Valley Church in different parts of our world, United States and beyond, but it's going to start with building community amongst the people that you have. So if God's been moving in your heart and, and you now sense and you know that you're supposed to bring other people on this journey, would you let those hosts know? Would you email us? You can even text me directly to that 937-358-6565 number. Uh, but don't let this moment go by without realizing that people that you see in your life every day who are hurting and you see them through the lens of Jesus Christ, need that compassion from you. Notice this. In the book of Acts, and again, I'd encourage you to read the book of Acts if you haven't already, every pivot that happened in the book of Acts was led by the Holy Spirit. Those in the early church, and it's a great thing that we need to get back to hardcore now, every pivot that they took 
They followed where the Holy Spirit was guiding them. And so it simply begs a question that you, your host can ask you right now, or you can interact. Where is the Holy Spirit guiding or directing you in your life right now? Have you asked him? Have you asked him lately, God, where are you directing me? The Holy Spirit is God's presence with it. That's a simple way to define it. It's God's, comp- it's, it's God's presence within us to guide and direct us. There's a lot of other aspects of the Holy Spirit, but we'll just talk about these two right now. What is he showing you to do? What is he asking you to do? One thing I came across in my reading was this phrase, and I love it. It's, it's one of those that just kind of sticks. Find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. Find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. Remember, Jesus, teaching, preaching, healing. What is something in your network or neighborhood, maybe in your school system, maybe in your, on your street, maybe in a club that you're a part of, maybe in your own family, that is a need that needs to be met, that is a hurt that needs to be healed? You see, in the early church, that's the choice they made. Everything around them was crumbling. And they could see it as a catastrophe, or they could see it as an opportunity to be seized. And we have to look at that, folks, right now. Are you going to look at what's happening in your life, what's been happening in your life, as a catastrophe that's just, that is what it is? Or is it going to be an opportunity to seize that moment? See, because they seized the moment, because they took the pain, they pivoted out of that pain for a greater purpose, the gospel of Jesus Christ was spread to literally other countries. And think about 2,000 years later, the generations, the hundreds of thousands, probably millions, frankly, of people whose lives, eternities have been altered because of this group of people, when scattered, chose to pivot with a purpose. So, in closing, here's what I want you to do. Invite the Holy Spirit to come in. Invite him to be leader. Invite him to be Lord. Show him where you want to go. Wouldn't it be something if the Valley Church was known as the church full of compassion for lost hurting, missing, broken people. That's my dream. That's the biggest pivot I think we've made in these last eight months is saying, not only in our local region where God's allowed us to have influence, but around this world through people like you. Remember, you are God's plan A and there's no plan B to reach this world that he wants you to see the needs. Now there's so many more needs seen because there's so many more people seeing them. And then will you have the compassion to do something about that? Let our hosts know. We're going to close today with communion. Uh, Whether you have the items with you or not, or maybe you can receive this later, I'll set it up right now. Maybe you real quick can grab some juice and some bread. But... When we celebrate communion, we come back to seeing people as Jesus sees them. And we remember that Jesus, when he was dying on the cross for me and for you, saw us. He saw you. And he felt you were worth dying for, even though he didn't deserve to die because he was an innocent man. He saw you. 
He saw you in your mess. He saw you in your hang-up, in your hurts, in your confusion. And he said, he is worth it. She is worth it. That couple is worth it. That grandma is worth it. That grandpa is worth it. That child is worth it. That teenager is worth it. They are so worth it. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he was reclining with his friends, with his disciples in an upper room. And he took a piece of bread and he broke it. And he said, gentlemen, this represents my body which is going to be broken for you. And I want you to continue to celebrate this throughout the rest of human history. And every time you do this, I want you to remember that my body was broken. I saw you. I had compassion on you. It stirred me so much that I was willing to go to the cross so that you could be in right relationship with me. And he said, take this and never forget. Would you receive this together with me? In the same way, he took the juice, and you can take the juice where you are. And he held it up in front of them. He said, gentlemen, this represents my blood, which is going to be shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. No longer will you have to go through the priest and the high priest. Now you can have direct access to the Father through me, because no one can get to the Father except through the Son. And because of my blood that's going to be shed, there's a new covenant that's coming into play. This isn't a contractual thing. This is a covenant. This is a thing where the, I'm going to be the one who gives everything so the recipient, through grace, can receive it free. Have you received that, by the way? Have you received the free gift of salvation? If not, your host will pray with you. But when we receive this, he said, take this and remember it to me. Let's take the juice together. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I pray right now for those watching that you would stir something so deep within them that the pivot they would take today would change the course of their life forever. They would no longer look at the catastrophe as the end, but they would look at as an opportunity. They would look at the things that happened in their life that were terrible, in some cases horrific, but they would not look at it as a thing that is just there and it's just part of their past and it can't be used for any good, but you said that you can work all things for the good of those who trust in you and are called according to your purpose. And what you mean by that is you're going to make us more Christ-like. And as a result of that, we can help other people in their journey through teaching, preaching, and healing to become more Christ-like. And so God, I pray that that would just you would just, just speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would reveal that we would have ears to listen and hearts would be moved. God, I pray that this would not fall on deaf ears, but we would take action. We went, so that was great. That was really cool. That inspired me. But then we don't do anything with it. The Bible says that's, that's just not acceptable. We can't look. It's like a person, the Bible says it's like a person who looks in a mirror and then forgets what you look like. When we hear God's word, when we read God's word, we have a responsibility, folks, to do something with it. Would you take the challenge? Would you listen to what the Holy Spirit tells you? He will never lead you astray. In fact, he will take your pain. He will make you pivot. And you will find a purpose in your life that you never thought possible before. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. 
To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives change lives.